inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining. Big ideas is a term that usually was associated with uh, innovation, technology, sometimes uh, philosophy. But today we're going to discuss about big ideas in communications. And for that, we have a very special guest. Tim Pollard is the author of The Compelling Communicator, Mastering the Art and Science of Exceptional Presentation Design. He is the founder of and CEO of Oratium, a communications firm helping organizations from Fortune 500 companies to low offices, hone their presentation and messaging skills. In his decades-long marketing career, Tim has held positions with Barclays Bank, Corporate Executive Board, and Peacemaker Ministries, a non-profit specializing in conflict resolution. Originally from the UK, Tim lives in Montana with his wife and four children. Hello, Tim. What's good? Good morning. How are you doing? Very great, great. Great talking with you, Tim. Mm-hmm. Please tell us a bit more about, let's start talking about your book, because it's, you have recently launched it. So tell us a bit about that, The Compelling Communicator. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's probably two interesting ideas. The first one is that uh, we all need to communicate well. We There are tremendous consequences that follow when we communicate well or badly but evidence still reveals that most people do not communicate well uh, research shows that you know 70 75 percent of all presentations are uh, viewed as sort of mediocre or worse so only mm. maybe a quarter to a third are good or better mm. um, interesting data we've gathered in the sales space um Companies self-assess, uh, our clients, other client, companies self-assess the, the solutions they sell to the market very highly, like an 8, 8.1 out of 10. But when you ask the same companies uh, to assess the quality of their messaging, how well they tell the story of those solutions, they self-assess at about a 3.9 out of wow. 10. So here we have companies with an solutions that are very good. They solve important customer problems. They're very well engineered, but hardly anyone seems able to tell the story effectively. So whether it's in a general executive sense or in a sales messaging sense, we just don't communicate effectively. And the second idea here is why. I think almost a lot of what we believe about communication is wrong. We've been told that you know, you've got to get eye contact and body language right and things like that. But the real reason communication fails is far deeper than that. If you think about it, you, you never come away from a bad presentation that you hated. You never come away and say, oh, that was awful, this guy didn't have good body language. You come away and say, it was confusing, there was too much information, it was too long, I didn't understand the sequence, the structure. And what you're really saying is, the architecture was wrong. The architecture of the message was wrong, not how it was delivered. And the basic theme of, of, of our work for 15 years and of the book is the key to architecture is the brain. It's how the brain works. And so this book is different from a lot of communication books because it starts from the idea that you have to understand how the brain consumes information and align with the way 
the brain consumes information. That's what's going wrong with almost all communications. They just misalign with the way the brain works. And PowerPoint is interesting because the traditional use of PowerPoint almost perfectly violates mm. how the brain works. So there's no surprise that as the world has moved to more of a PowerPoint culture, although PowerPoint is not the issue, um, communication has gotten less effective. So the book is about how do you create architect communication that truly aligns with the way people take in information, retain it, store it, how they learn, and so on. So it's, it's pretty different to most other books in the field, which is essentially why I wrote it, because there's a lot out there on the traditional thinking. This is really more based on very recent uh, understanding of neuroscience and how the brain works. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things I found really, really interesting about what you are. I will ask you a bit later about this neuroscience. First, I will ask you something you mentioned that some companies do some self-assessment to their own messages. Uh, in which circumstances? So who asks, who asks them to self-assess your pitch? Or... Um, so whenever we're working with a prospective client, there's a, a standard set of diagnostics that we run. Mm -hmm. But we also use the same diagnostic if we're speaking at a conference, uh, workshop, or a keynote. So we now have probably six, 700 um, clients or just business-to-business -business sales companies in the survey. What's really interesting, Oscar, is there's very little variation in the pattern. I mean, we're talking about exceptional companies here, companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, GE, mm -hmm. Schneider, Emerson, Ericsson, okay. uh, companies you would know very well. I mean, just a lot of great companies in here yeah. and non-profits. And they almost universally you know, say that for the core solutions they offer, they're very good. And it's completely reasonable. These are great companies. I mean, the solutions they're offering are quite extraordinary in many cases. But very rarely, uh, very rarely do you not see this big gap between the quality of the solution and the quality of the message uh, in its most extreme. Um, but it's not uncommon. You'll see companies self-assess the quality of, of the solution at you know, an eight or a nine, but they're messaging down as a, a two. Um, the worst I ever saw was no. a 10-1, a company that literally had the most amazing solution and was completely mm. incapable of telling the story well. You'll often see this, by the way, in any technical space. Yeah. If you have uh, engineers, chemical engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, they will always build sales materials that are too technical, too convoluted, that are just too difficult for people to understand. So probably a half of our clients are in that, that technical space. Um, but you really see it, you really see it everywhere, even in much simpler businesses. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, so it's part of the... Um, when you start uh, working with these companies is that they do this self-assessment. Uh, well, very, very interesting, you're finding. You are talking about really big and successful companies. So on, on what I read from your book, I haven't read your book, but I have read the, some de the descriptions and some uh, some reviews. You you mentioned mm -hmm. the, the big ideas, no? Big ideas are very important yeah. in today's communication. So, so why? Why is that? This is a great question. What, the, why, is it, why is the concept of big ideas so important? This is fundamentally about how the brain works. This could be the most important thing we, we teach and consult on. The human brain operates at the level of ideas. The human brain operates at the level of ideas. It does not operate at the level of fact and data. 
Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is the human brain is reductionist. Uh, What that means is, imagine we have this conversation, Oscar, and you go away, and a few hours later, somebody says to you, what was that about? What Mm -hmm. what did Tim say? You will not recount, you will probably not remember much of the low-level fact and data. What you will recount are two or three big ideas. That's what your brain does. It's always done that but in an increasingly uh, information-overloaded environment, the brain does it even more. It has to. If I give you a, a hundred slides and a, you know, two, five hundred pieces of data, the brain can't do anything with that. The brain will reduce any argument to the level of ideas. Now, if that's true, what would a communicator focus on? They would focus on intentionally understanding and crafting and designing the big ideas they are trying to transmit. Because now what I'm doing is I'm transmitting information to you in exactly the way you want to receive it. So the key to communication, there are many keys, but one key to communication is understanding what are the critical ideas I need to get across here. What, in fact, the right question is what are the critical ideas my audience needs to believe and make certain that any presentation or communication is oriented to and around those big ideas. Now you have very powerful alignment, because if if three hours later your your wife or a friend says, hey, what was that about? Mm -hmm. And you recount the three ideas I wanted you to recount, now I've been very effective. So you think about this in sales. If you make a presentation in sales, the decision is never made in the moment. The decision, and really any presentation, you're presenting a new budget to your boss, you're presenting a new project, doesn't matter. In any setting, the decision is almost always removed from the presentation. So imagine there's a group meeting a week later, and they're going to discuss your presentation. Mm -hmm. It's crucial that the big ideas you presented can be recounted or retold Mm -hmm. a week later. But we know from research... 80% of the content of most presentations is lost within 24 hours. There's great data from McKinsey on this, but typically 80 to 90% is gone within 24 to 48 hours. So if this group's meeting a week later and they really can't remember what you said and all they've got to work with is a 100-slide PowerPoint deck, you're going to have a tremendous loss of content of that communication. So... What that means is understand what are the big ideas that, that you are trying to communicate. That's what their brain is going to reduce to anyway, and really focus on data illustration that supports those ideas, but making sure the ideas are very central. You can have a much higher level of comprehension, a much higher level of retention, and a much higher level of retellability. Now, I, I don't want to get into this too much, but the standard we should shoot for as communicators is retellability. It's not good enough to be understood. Mm -hmm. You want it to connect with the brain so deeply that your audience can retell your story later. That is what great communicators do. And that's how the virus of a great message spreads, because it can spread without you having to be there to do it. (laughs) Interesting fact, when when we work with clients in sales, So you're familiar with sales cycle time, how long it takes for a deal to close, how many meetings. Mm. We typically see sales conversion rates go up dramatically. We also see sales cycle times go down. 
So we see sales that used to take two years and six meetings come down to eight months and three meetings. Why? Because the virus of the message is spreading without the sales guys having to come back and do it. And this all comes down to the power of big ideas and to um, focusing on those big ideas. Mm -hmm. And to put that more in perspective, could you give some some examples either from, let's say, companies or courses that had either successful or failed this, uh, what you are just explaining? Um, sure. I mean, there's some very interesting ones. I don't know whether you want me to talk about the... Uh, the Trump-Clinton presidential campaign. I can come back to that, but I'll give you two or three examples. Mm -hmm. um, uh, very interesting. So very, very simple commercial one. Uh, we work with one company, and this, this, these are crazy numbers. Um, they work in the electrical industry, and they are basically in the space of uh, grid reliability. They, they keep your lights on. They make your electricity stay on. And... Um, Their traditional presentation had always been about a lot of fact and data, how the product works, how to install it, things like that. And they had about a sales conversion rate of 15%. Mm -hmm. wow. So they pursue 100 deals, they get 15. Mm -hmm. With the new messaging that focused entirely on two or three critical ideas, um, that conversion rate went up, it's crazy, to 94%. And the reason is it, it's such a great solution but people just couldn't see it because they were lost in the data. Um, so that's a great example of where it works. Um, another really interesting one, let's forget sales. There's an amazing lady. Um, I discussed her at length in the book. Her name is Eva Kaur. She is a Holocaust survivor. And um, she is 84 years old. Well. She will come out to speak. She'll sit down at a table. She won't move. She sort of isn't doing any eye contact and body language. Mm -hmm. um, and she'll speak for between two and three hours. It's incredible, two and three hours. So by traditional standards, this is terrible. Yeah. She's got no eye contact or body language. She's talking for a very long period of time. She has no visual aids, all of this. And yet, she is the most instinctively brilliant communicator I've ever seen because her entire talk her entire lecture is organized around three ideas the three ideas are her the lessons she learned from being in the holocaust in fact she wasn't just a holocaust survivor she was a, a mengele twin in auschwitz so they performed medical experiments on her oh. and and this lady i heard her speak for the first time we've become very good friends i heard her speak for the first time she spoke for two two hours on that day And I remembered the three big ideas, the three lessons with extraordinary clarity months later. Very, very interesting because she orients to the big ideas. All of her stories, all of her data point to a particular idea. Um, now, you probably don't want to get into this. I'm not making a political comment here. I am not making a political comment, mm -hmm. but it's very clear. There's a lot of things happened in the, the recent political cycle in the U.S. It's very dangerous to oversimplify it. But it is true that Donald Trump focused on a small number of big ideas. He focused on two or three critical ideas. The, the one idea 
make America great again, other ideas, protect our borders. Um, I'm not making a comment on right or wrong, good or bad. But if you look at Hillary Clinton, she had, if I'm not mistaken, over 100 policy statements on her website. And, and, and what I think you can say is part of, remember, the human brain is reductionist. So, for example, people would watch a debate and it would, would try and reduce the candidate to a few ideas. Well, that's very easy to do with Donald Trump. Again, I'm not making any for or against statements. I'm just observing what happened. Mm -hmm. People would come away from a two-hour debate and they would be very clear on the, the ideas that Donald Trump had communicated. They would not be clear on what Hillary Clinton had communicated. Not because she's a bad person or a bad politician, but because she did not focus on a small number of ideas. She focused on a very broad range of policy issues. Now, that, you know, I can leave it for your <laughs> listeners to decide who was the better politician, who was the better candidate, who would be the better uh, uh, president. But there's no doubt from a communication standpoint, yeah. if the, the pivotal idea here is land a small number of big ideas, Trump was more effective. And it's interesting that he gets elected. I have no idea. What, there are many, many currents and issues. This, I'm not oversimplifying this. I'm simply saying as a communicator, that will have helped him. So there's just some examples of it working and not working. It's very interesting. And it's one of the most important things you have to be good at as a communicator is understanding what are the big ideas. In fact, we have a specific tool and its only purpose is to help you identify the big idea. And in fact, most of our clients ultimately know us for this one tool. It's really, really critical. It's in the book. It's, the, it's called the Pyramid of Planned Outcome. Mm -hmm. The point is you derive your big idea back from what the audience needs to believe in order to take the action you want them to take. So anyway, that's a, just a quick tour through the concept of big ideas. Mm -hmm. Sure, and... Yeah, could you tell us a bit about the the neuroscience? So, what is what is the new thing here that, um, let's say, previous authors haven't covered that you have in terms of new, neuroscience? Who did this uh, neuroscience studies? Could you tell sure, us a bit sure. of that? As I said, the, 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 if you step back and think about this, the, the, your brain and mine they're wired in very interesting ways. They're wired to consume information in certain ways. And um, when we understand how the brain is wired, we can be, a, be a incredibly effective as communicators. Now, we've learned more about how the brain is wired in the last 10 years mm -hmm. than, you know, from all of, of, of mm -hmm. previous history. Okay. Now, some, some of the application of neuroscience is not new, but it, it just people have never applied it. So mm -hmm. let me give you a couple of examples. So the, I mean, one we've already given is the brain is reductionist mm -hmm. and it reduces all material to ideas, so you want to align with that. But let's give you another one. Um, <clears throat> imagine you and I uh, met in a bar, and, and just by coincidence, I had another friend there. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, Oscar, here's, here's my friend Phil. And, you know, he, you say, hi, Phil, and Phil says, hey, hi, Oscar. But then you, you drift apart immediately. What will most likely happen within a few minutes? You forget his name. Yeah. And we've all done it. We've all yes. been introduced to somebody, somebody really important, like a prospective customer CEO, oh. and we forget their name. 
Now, why on earth does that happen? Um, it happens because of a very particular thing that, that's going on in the brain. Another thing we need to know about the brain, not just ideas, another thing we need to know about the brain is how does it store information? Mm. Well, the brain stores information contextually. In other words, you, a new piece of information comes to the brain. The brain looks for a piece of context that it can attach it to. And if it can find that, mm. then the information will be stored. If it can't find it, the information cannot be stored. Um, you aren't being lazy or just not trying hard enough. The brain just does not work that way. And the problem with, say, this, this name, Phil, is it's what we call, it's a very important idea, it's what we call an intellectual orphan. It doesn't have a hook that the brain can attach it to. It's just a name. It's just Phil. So your brain has no way of storing it. You're not being lazy. You're not kind of not trying hard enough. The brain doesn't work that way. The brain doesn't have a place where it can put that kind of information where it had no context. So you, it just sort of rattles around and, and, um, and it's gone. And what's really interesting is, if you think about it, if you were trying to remember the name of a restaurant that you knew, you kind of know it's there. You go, oh, what was the name of that place? <laughs> you know it's there in your brain. You can't find it. This is different. If I said to you, what was that guy's name? You would go, it's not there. Oblivion. It's not there and I can't mm. find it. It's not there. It's really interesting. You can actually feel that it's not there. Now, why does that matter? This is so important. The overwhelming majority of presentations have no narrative structure. Mm. They don't create context for each idea. And the way you know that is it might be bullets, like here's point one or here's point two or here's point three, or here are you know, three things to remember about being a great communicator, or five reasons to buy from us, or seven things our department has to get right this year. But presenters don't know or realize that they have to build these into a logical narrative storyline. Why? Because story creates context. If you read a book, you read chapter seven, it makes sense because of chapter six. Chapter six makes sense because of chapter five. But if you read the same book out of sequence, it wouldn't make sense because all context had been lost. So most people don't even understand that. So they assemble presentations, they assemble communication without understanding how the brain stores information. So everything gets forgotten. I'll tell you a very quick story. It's so funny. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, I saw a CEO present. He was amazing by traditional standards. He's funny. He's, uh, he, he doesn't miss a word. He is completely uh, just perfect on eye contact and body language. He's moving around a stage. He was doing a closing keynote at a conference I'd spoken at. He was amazing. But he was closing out the company meeting, and his subject was the 10 things we've got to get right this year. Now, he is literally perfect on everything that traditional presentation mm -hmm. skills or public speaking skills tell you you've got to get right. He's killing eye contact. He's amazing. But there was no narrative flow in the 10 points. Now, this is an absolutely true story. I can be a bit of a jerk sometimes as we're leaving, uh, right after his, his, his speech, uh, I just grabbed somebody from the crowd, and I said, uh, you know, they'd heard me speak, so they were happy to talk to me, and I said, 
what did you think of, uh, you know, who was say Jonathan? And, and they said, oh, it was amazing. And I said, uh, can I ask you a question? How many of the 10 things do you remember? Remember his presentation, 10 things we've got to get right this year. And guess how many the guy remembered? Two. <laughs> now think about this, Oscar. It's amazing. We were probably five minutes from the end. It was the CEO talking about the 10 most important things we've got to do. 80% of the content gone within two minutes. Why? Because of the brain violation, because it, it broke the, violated the way the brain works. Really interesting. So here you have a guy who's doing everything right traditionally. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, probably uh, he's probably succeeded as an entertainer. Yeah, that's but what I was failed as an entertainer, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's failed as a communicator mm. because nothing stuck. By the way, this is just a, a side point. Audiences always evaluate how entertained they felt. They never evaluate how much they learned. That's very important. Audiences uh, evaluate based on how entertained they felt. So on any, on any scorecard, on any sort of ratings, mm. he would have been fantastic. Yeah. But learning did not happen. That's very important. Now, but back to the point. The reason it didn't happen is there was no intellectual logic to his 10 points. There was no storyline there. So it was, you know, fill, 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 fill. <laughs> and I've got to say, 95, 99% of presentations I see do not follow a sufficiently robust storyline. So again, in our model, we have a particular tool that teaches you how to storyboard an argument to create narrative flow. And it pivots on a very interesting idea, um, which is understanding the audience's natural question when you've presented a point. I won't get into the details, but um, just a very good example of how, of how brain science works. Um, we can move to something else, or I can give you another example of uh, recent brain science, whichever you please, prefer. Please. You can tell okay. another example, yes. <clears throat> so one of the most recent findings of brain science has come through the uh, fMRI machine, or the functional MRI. So the functional MRI um, allows me to put somebody in an MRI machine and see which areas of their brain are lighting up, depending on what's happening to them. So, for example, here's a recent... Uh, finding. Uh, imagine I put you in an fMRI and I ask you to tell me a story and you tell me a story. What's interesting as you're telling the story and maybe the story involves, uh, you know, a walk in the country. As you're telling me that story, your um, uh, visual cortex is lighting up. As you talk about a sound of a bird, your auditory cortex is lighting up. As you talk about the smell of the trees, Mm -hmm. your um, olfactory, your, your, your nasal you know, cortex, but your olfactory cortex is lighting up. Now, that's really interesting, but here's what we found most recently. Imagine I take you out of the MRI, and I put somebody else in, and I put them in, and then I play them the story. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens? As you talk about the sight of the trees, their visual cortex lights up. As you talk about the sound of the bird, their auditory cortex lights up. You talk about the smell, their olfactory cortex lights up. It's really interesting. What you find is story, literally the hearer hears a story and recreates it in their own brain such that they're essentially creating a movie of it. They're seeing it, they're hearing it, and they're feeling it. 
So we've always known story mattered, but we're now starting to understand why story matters mm. so much. When you talk about making a presentation and sort of trying to get on the same page as your audience or really align with them, we start to see why story does that so incredibly powerfully because you literally create alignment of two brains. And by the way, guess what? Eva Kaur, the Holocaust survivor, tells a lot of stories. Mm. She's almost entirely story-driven story as she leads to her point. And the brain, the audiences, recreate the movie of her as a child in Auschwitz. So again, we start to see how you know, very recent developments in brain science really help us understand um, the importance of different aspects of communication. That's just another very good, very recent example. Yeah, that's a what, that's a great example. Yes, <laughs> and yeah, you mentioned a bit in this case of the this speaker that who was the CEO who was a more like a entertainer speaker. In that side, yeah. he was successful, but not so much in the in delivering the message. So yeah. once you have a a big idea, you you took time to to elaborate that. What is your piece of advice for for delivering? It's a great question because go back to that CEO. <clears throat> excuse me. Go back to the CEO. He got he got everything right in traditionally in terms of delivery. <laughs> you know, body con uh, body language and eye contact. And I'm not saying those things are not Im important. I mean, well, actually, I am. They're not that important. It's not what will make you effective. He was not effective. Um, if you've done your design work properly, if you've built. Uh, an argument based on a small number of ideas, logical sequence, uh, correct use of story and data, which what you're really doing there is creating a balance of engagement of the audience's left and right brain. If you've done all these really cool things architecturally, there is one word in my view that, that is more important than any other word mm -hmm. in terms of delivery. And it's, it's not a word that most people are using. The word is precision, precision. Because what can happen is you can develop a presentation that's architecturally brilliant, that could be incredibly powerful, but you stand up and it doesn't quite come out right. Very recently, I was working with the, the CEO of a large nonprofit, and he was delivering a very important presentation at a fundraising banquet. So there's maybe... I don't know, 2,000 people there. Probably they were hoping to raise, you know, $2 million. I mean, a serious amount of money, serious people, serious cause. Mm -hmm. And I had worked with him on the design of the presentation, and it was really good. It, it, again, it pivoted on a small number of ideas and a great storyline. It, it should have been great. But he didn't really rehearse it enough, and rehearsal is mm -hmm. the key to precision. And... Um, What happened was uh, he got up, and, and you've been there. When you stand up, you know, there's so many other things going on. You do get a little nervous. And so what happened was his, his, a different part of his brain took over, and he kind of started talking. He got off track. He didn't recreate the sequence quite properly. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, he lost precision. And let me be more clear, precision in language The ideas, he, they kind of fumbled. They sort of okay. came out, but they didn't come out with the precision he needed. So now you have a less clear narrative. Mm -hmm. You have ideas that are not landing as powerfully as they should. 
and the whole thing became fuzzy. Um, I mean, let me just restate that for your hearers. The first job is to create, um, understand what are the big ideas you're trying to communicate, but you then want to craft very specific language around them. The language has to be exactly the best, not any language will do. Find the best language for your big idea. And then you have to rehearse that enough that that exact language comes out. It's okay if you're if you're not absolutely precise on, you know, a story you tell or some data you recount, that's okay. You still want to be precise, but you have to be absolutely precise on the big ideas, on your, your transitions between points, which, which explain the narrative of the story. And he missed that. And um, unfortunately, you know, it was good. It was good. And the, the banquet was still successful, but it could have been incredible. And the, the one thing he missed was precision. So precision is just about making sure that the presentation you designed is exactly what you delivered. I would, I would put a hundred times the value on precision of language than I would on eye contact and body language because people are essentially taking information in, in an auditory way. They're listening to you. And by far the most important thing therefore is that that language is exactly right. We do when we do our delivery coaching, which includes a lot of TED speaker coaching, 80% of it is on the architectural design and then 20% of it is on delivery getting them comfortable. But the majority of what we do, especially with corporate clients, 80% of it is on uh, design, 10-15% on key things of delivery which are um, rehearsal and then making sure that that certain the way you say big ideas should be slightly different than, than the way you just discuss data. And we spend just a few minutes on, on some of the very traditional thinking. Okay, well, that's, that's really, as you say, very unusual point, the, the precision, because um, not many people emphasize that. And yeah, it's, mm. I, I agree with what you say, no? the, the importance of rehearsing enough. Yeah. And having the right words. So at the time, if you, yeah. if things don't go wrong, will you have very clear the, the right words and not, yeah. um, like, um, improvising a bad way where the, where the exactly. words that come yeah. are not effective? Yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, there are presentation skills coaches, thinkers who actually tell people not to over rehearse because they'll they'll no longer be spontaneous. I heard that, yeah. That is literally the worst idea you mm. can give somebody. That's horrible. If you think about it, even any any sentence in English, any idea, any paragraph, there are literally, if you think about vocabulary and syntax and grammar, so the words you use, the structure you use, there are almost an infinite number of ways that idea can come mm -hmm. out. Yeah. And, and what you're asking is that somebody in a highly stressful moment will spontaneously find the best yeah. possible articulation of an idea. That's what you're asking them to do if they're not completely rehearsed yes. and also potentially scripted. You want to develop a script even though you probably won't at the end of the day use the script. Mm. Um, I really do believe this, and we teach this quite openly, that a lot of what's being taught today is wrong. It's very traditional. It's thinking that first emerged in the 1950s. 
it just it's just out of date it's just purely out of date we the, the way we now understand the way the brain works has i think made a lot of traditional presentation skills thinking it should make it go away so when somebody says you know just be yourself and uh, <laughs> this is great right be yourself be extemporaneous and if you forget what you were going to say glance up at this the slide and see your bullet on screen that's just the worst idea in the world i mean everything about that is wrong there's no you should never have a bulleted powerpoint slide ever hmm. no presentation should ever be accompanied by a bulleted powerpoint slide that's a whole different discussion mm -hmm. but just traditional thinking of uh, is is so wrong in so many ways i think that's why i really do think that's why our, our clients find what we do so refreshing because it works and they know this other stuff they've learned has not worked and so i think people are actually quite ready for something new i think that's why i think we've been a fairly healthy organization yeah yeah we are in different times i have changed it and, <laughs> and changed yeah. very fast lately <laughs> oh yeah no kidding <laughs> tim could you now share with us your favorite quotation yes and funnily enough it, it i can it, it it teaches or 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 um uh, it speaks to another aspect of brain science i love it albert einstein said Every argument should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Every argument should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. That is very central to our model. So our model has six elements. There are six mm -hmm. typical mistakes, you know, brain violations that are committed, and we fix them through six tools. And if you, you all put together, you create one model, and the model creates mm -hmm. fabulous communication. One aspect of the model is all about simplification. It's a great, great piece of data for you. Imagine your brain has uh, the processing power of, uh, let's say, you know, the U.S. economy, which is about $16 trillion. Guess how many dollars? There's a piece of your brain that is dedicated to taking in new information And, and, and just kind of dealing with sensory input. So what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're smelling. In other words, the piece of the brain that the audience is using when you're presenting to them. Now, here's a great question. You can answer it, Oscar, and guess, or don't worry, you don't have to. <laughs> guess how many out of $16 trillion, guess how many dollars are assigned to that piece of your brain? It's called working memory. And we do this in the class, and people guess, oh, a trillion, a billion, a million. You know what the answer is? Three dollars. Three out of 16 trillion dollars are assigned to taking in new information. And what that means is audiences get overwhelmed very quickly, very easily, much more quickly than we tend to think. So simplification of an argument is essential. You've got to be able to get to your best data, mm. not the most data. You've got to have three, four ideas, not 10 ideas. So simplification is a truly critical doctrine. It's a part of how we get people to establish the right argument. And the, the Einstein quote is very important there, which is, you know, every argument should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. You're never dumbing an argument down. You're not mm. treating your audience disrespectfully or like children you are however understanding and working with the limited amount of their brain that they're actually giving you so again when you understand the brain you suddenly understand why all this stuff makes sense it's so key it's a lot of fun it's it's 
really is a great new way of thinking about communication. Mm-hmm. So the importance of simplification. Yeah. Now, could you um, recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring and influential for you? Um, you know, there are there are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, probably from a sort of teaching standpoint, in other words, communicating and having real learning happen. I really love the book, Why Don't Students Like School by Daniel Willingham. Now, he's writing, talking about the cognitive limitations of the brain and why, uh, how most teaching violates that. But what's interesting about that book is it applies to any setting. Um, It's a really fantastic book. It's a, a very, very good read. Um, the other one I would say, although it's very technical, uh, maybe more technical than most people would like, but mm-hmm. there's a, a brilliant British psychologist called Ian McGilchrist, and he is really doing the foremost thinking on left and right brain function. Absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant guy. And he wrote a book called The Master and His Emissary. Now, what he means by that, the master is the kind of the controller of the brain, which is your right brain. And then the emissary is like the doer of the brain who does the master's orders, and that's the left brain. And what I think he does is give us the best understanding of left and right brain function, because if you're a presenter and you just use fact and data, you're only speaking to the left brain. And that's a problem, because decisions are made in the right brain. So a lot of what we teach, one of, our, one of the six parts of our model, is how do you place an argument in a balanced way between an audience's left and right brain. And uh, that book is very good on that. It's very, very technical, but it's a very good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, especially the ones who are, want to go deeper in the neuroscience and this <laughs> yeah. latest you findings. Will go, <laughs> you will go deep with that book. If you don't want to go quite so deep, read um, A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. That, it's, it's, I think it's why right-brainers will rule the world. So A Whole New mm-hmm. Mind by Dan Pink is a very good book on, uh, again, also on left and right, right brain function and how they intersect. So that's also interesting. That's a lot lighter. It covers some of the same material. Uh, McGilchrist's work is, is a lot deeper. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Three, three recommendations. Uh, f- finally, could you t- um, share with us an exercise, something practical that you recommend us doing the daily weekly? A routine um, to shine. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I really had to think about that question. So, as you would understand, we are we do not emphasize particularly uh, delivery. So, those kinds mm-hmm. of exercises we don't work on. You know, voice exercises. Now, if you have a speech problem, maybe something there. I, I seriously, what I would recommend is, mm-hmm. as I said, we use we have six tools in in our model and it's it's one model you you do you use the six tools sequentially and if, if we have a piece of software that does this so you can just you can use you can build any presentation using the message architect software which which comes with the book it's it's you you log on from the book but what i would recommend is if you wanted to be a really excellent communicator you have to be a great communications architect mm. i would recommend each week just working with one of the tools. So use a pyramid to derive insight. Use the storyboarding tool to create um, logical narrative structure. Uh, one of our tools is called is, is about anchoring. How do you create initial engagement in the presentation? How do you secure the attention of, of a society that is massively over-communicated? We have a particular tool for designing an opening 
that will secure attention. It's very cool, very important in, in sales or in any corporate setting. And I would just say, you know, work with one or more of the tools. Now, if you happen to be building a presentation, you will be using any of the tools. So maybe a better answer is to say, build communications using this model and you will naturally practice it. The first time will be hard, it'll be clunky, it'll be new. And then by the time you've done it several times, we know of CEOs who literally construct communications on sort of on cocktail napkins, certainly their initial architectural design. They've become so good at it. I was chatting to a friend last night. He, he was in San Francisco. He's flying. He's a CEO. He's flying to San Diego this morning for an important client meeting, and he was literally sketching the, the pyramid, which is the way we, we help people get to their big ideas. Mm-hmm. He must have done it late last night because he just emailed me the software file this morning. He did a great job. So <laughs> practicing and working with the tools of design is the best thing you can do. Oh, Excellent. Thanks a lot, Tim, for this very interesting uh, interview, telling us a lot of things that in, in your book, The Compelling Communicator, and on all your experience. So I appreciate very much for that. Finally, tell us how we can uh, follow you, learn more about you. What are the best ways for that? Um, uh, I think, uh, so obviously the book is uh, the main way. We have a, a, a blog where we post uh, informally at Aratium. So the company... Uh, the company that I run, the, this is a training and consulting firm, is Oratium, O-R-A-T-I-U-M. It's the same lat, lat root as um, orator or oratory. Mm-hmm. And so you can follow us on there through you know, uh, Twitter and so on. We're not incredibly active in social media, uh, but our blog is fun, and uh, you can connect and see a little bit more of what we do there. The most depth on what we teach, obviously, um, is in the book, but mm-hmm. the, the, the website and things talk a lot about... Uh, The work we do for companies, you know, donor messaging, sales messaging, executive communications, leadership development, things like that. Awesome. See, I strongly, after talking with you, I strongly recommend having a look at this at this book because there's a lot of new stuff that I've rarely heard about that, and yeah, it sounds really, really powerful. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think I, re- I really do think the book will answer a lot of questions that people have had. Why don't decks work? Why do most mm. presentations fail? And it's not for the reasons that we think. They don't fail because of these traditional things. Mm. They fail because of the way they, they fail to, to connect to the brain. And I think, I think mm. it opens up a whole new terrain. Because if you think about it, if the key to communication is designing in a way that aligns with the brain, mm. anyone can do that. If the key is sparkling stage presence, Not everyone can do that. So one of the most important things we teach is exceptional communication is within anyone's reach because it's not about natural talent. And I go back to Eva Kaur. Eva Kaur is the best communicator I've ever seen. She would not, she's not doing anything that, that would be called traditionally presentation skill. So what we did is we just, we just took success out of the realm of natural talent and into the realm of, of self-discipline. Anybody can be amazing if they, if they learn how to construct messaging in the right way. And so that's, that's what's fun about this because it's so liberating. <laughs> yeah, thanks again for summarizing this. It's very, very interesting ideas that I have in this, in this book. Well, thanks a lot, Tim, and all the best.
Thank you, Oscar. This was a lot of fun. It's fun talking about this. And thanks for your podcast. It is outstanding. I really enjoy it. So it's a, really uh, an honor to be a part of it. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time, 